Welcome to this week's episode of Well, thank you, Morse code generator. What it said was, we got a mic. So, three each guesses for what topic we're going to be talking about today. I think it has something to do with Morse code. Yeah, it actually does. Ding, ding, ding. So, as I was researching for our episode today, I actually was reminded of one of my favorite TV shows. Supernatural? No, no. Maybe another time, but not this time. Darn it. No, I was reminded of The Office, the American version with Jim and Pam. And um, for Office fans, you might remember this one. In this particular episode, Jim and Pam, who are desk buddies and also a really cute couple, ended up pranking Dwight, who is... I don't really know how to describe Dwight, to be very honest. They ended up pranking Dwight by learning Morse code. How so? What they ended up doing was blinking Morse code at each other across their desks. And because Dwight being Dwight was completely fluent in it, was also completely distracted by what they were saying (laughs) across the desks. Well, that's a fun prank to play on someone. Oh yeah, the, the camera was like just on Pam and Jim's faces. And they were staring at each other, blinking, like, very, very focusedly. (laughs) Yes, that's a word now. (laughs) That was a great way of starting an episode. If we started blinking at each other, unfortunately, our listeners can't see what we're doing. See what we're doing. Yeah. Although, I guess we could speak in dits and das, so we could go... Okay, we're just being silly now. But yeah, really, this episode, we're talking about Morse code, the evolution of Morse code, and how and why Morse code was so important to not only communications back in the 1800s, but how it actually led to the revolution of telecommunications. All right, so Yvonne, why don't you give us a rundown of the history of Morse code? So Morse code is essentially the alphabet, but it's also the primary language of telegraphy, which was used in the 1800s. It was originally developed by this painter and inventor named Samuel F.B. Morse. He was credited with developing the concept for a single wire telegraph, which transmitted these electrical pulses so you could send out these Morse code messages, hence the name Morse code. As I recall, the reason why Morse decided to do this was actually very tragic, right? So you're right. The story of how Morse got started and was inspired to develop the Morse code and to work on a telegraph had very tragic beginnings. Essentially, one day a horse messenger delivered a letter to him from his father, letting him know that his wife had fallen quite ill. Immediately the next day, he received another letter from his father stating that his wife was essentially dying. And so Morse at the time was in Washington completing a portrait of Lafayette. He dropped his work and rushed home quickly to New Haven. Unfortunately, by the time he got back to New Haven, his wife was already buried. And so it was very tragic. And the fact that there was this delay 
in receiving a message from his father. It was just so tragic. And he was essentially inspired to develop and to create a way of communication, which was instantaneous. Yeah, what Morse basically did with his invention and with the Morse code was separate transportation from communication. Because up until that point, it was all like people walking or horses, right? Exactly. So the only way you could get a message to someone was if someone actually physically delivered a message to you. Either they hand wrote it and you had to pass it on to someone or you physically went to someone to tell them what the message was. Um, Essentially, Morse wanted to explore a means of rapid long distance communication and essentially, like you said, Crystal, taking out that physical delivery aspect of messaging. How did you do that? Was it through a wire or was it through you know, magical means, like supernatural. (laughs) It was pretty magical at the time. So at the time, Morse essentially developed the concept of a single wire telegraph. And what this did, or what this machine did, was it took electrical pulses and it sent it through a wire. And whoever was on the receiving end of it could receive these electrical pulses. Now, when it first started, the telegraph was only a one-way communication, but at least you could get a message from point A to point B in a fairly rapid time frame. Well, I mean, compared to a couple days on horseback, it's definitely rapid. Exactly. So essentially, as fast as electricity pulsated through these wires, you received the message. Cool. But wires are physical, which meant that for a little while there, it was limited to just continental US, right? Exactly. So after, you know, a couple decades, maybe 10 or 20 years with um, inventions and help from other inventors, the entire continental USA was hooked up to these transatlantic cables. And so what that meant was you could send a message from the east end of the states all the way to the west end of the states. So from, for example, Boston to Seattle, you could get these messages across. What that meant was by the 1860s, it contributed to the end of the Pony Express. And what the Pony Express was, was for its short two years, was a service where essentially someone was on a pony and they would ride across the states. And at the time, it saved about 10 days on horseback because you had these dedicated, I guess, messengers on horseback carrying your message from one end to the country to the next. The beginnings of the postal service, I'm guessing. Well, not the beginnings of postal service. They've had postal service for a long time. But definitely um, the Morse code and the telegraph machine contributed to the end of um, sending physical messages in that rapid way. So you still had snail mail for sure. But anytime you wanted to send quick messages, you could do so on telegraphs. But what if... I wanted to send a message to my beloved in England from New York. What happened then? Well, you were essentially out of luck until the 1860s. Dang it. (laughs) So it took about 10 to 20 years for a network of cables to really establish in the States for the network to really grow. And it wasn't until... 
1858, where you could actually transmit your messages across the Atlantic. But only from Newfoundland and Ireland, right? Funnily enough, fun fact, only from Newfoundland to Ireland. So the first cables that were laid down across the Atlantic and the first messages were transmitted on August 5th, 1858 from Newfoundland to Ireland. So if you were in the States, you still couldn't transmit messages to Europe in 1858. But give a couple years, by the mid 1860s, there was a reliable connection between the USA and Europe. So you could transmit your messages essentially from like USA to England. And then by the 1890s, the undersea cables that cross the Atlantic were fully established. And so before the turn of the century, you had fully reliable cables crossing the Atlantic. So you could transmit any messages you want. Essentially, if you were in a long distance relationship in the late 1800s, you were in luck. You could communicate with each other. Only after 1890. But you could still communicate (laughs) with each other. All right, well, what about Morse code makes it special? Well, Morse code sounds pretty funny. It doesn't sound like natural language. Why is that? Well, essentially, Morse code is comprised of dots and dashes, or more commonly referred to as dits and daws. What Samuel F.B. Morse did was essentially for every letter of the alphabet and numbers, he associated a certain dit and a certain number of dots. So for example, when he was coming out with the alphabet, the most common letter, the letter E, was associated with a single dit. So it was just doot, so on and so forth. The Morse code actually has some rhyme and rhythm to it. If you listen to an entire message, there is a certain rhythm there. It was developed based off of um, mostly military signals and the phonetic alphabet. So for example, the letter H, which was hotel, the way they describe it is that it's four quick dits. So it was do-do-do-do. But if you played it, on repeat, it sounded like a horse galloping. So like, exactly. And for example, the letter Y, which is one dash, one dot, and two dashes after were da, dit, da, da. So the Y formation of a military walk followed that. It was step, pivot, step, step. Well, that's pretty cool. That means that it's not just a bunch of random sounds. There's an actual rhyme and reason to it. Exactly. And as the telegraph developed, originally people would write out messages, translate it into Morse code, and then transmitted the messages and then someone would receive the Morse code and then translate it back. But as people were using the telegraph, um, Morse discovered that people were very adept at picking up and understanding these electronic pulses, so these dits and daws. So eventually, they removed the first part of writing out a message and transcribing it into Morse code and then back again. They had someone just start off with Morse code and then whoever received it could pick up and then transcribe the message then. So that's what made Morse code a very auditory, I guess, communication 
method because it's a lot easier to hear it and translate it in your head than to read it off a piece of paper, essentially. Exactly. And so you ended up with this alphabetical auditory system where it was full of dits and daws and a lot of rhythm. And so you had these really talented receivers who picked up these rhythms and were able to be master transcribers. Well, that's pretty cool, but I'm in tech and I know tech is full of standards because otherwise people are just going to make things up, make things complicated, and it'll just be hard to communicate. How did people decide on the same, I guess, series of dits and daws for the same letter or number? That's a very good question, actually. It was solved by this man named Frederick Clement Gherkin fairly early on, actually, in the 1850s. What Gherk did was simplified the code and then made some further changes so that it fit a more universal standard. And what he developed was a spin-off of Morse's Morse code to what we know now as the International Morse Code System. And so Samuel F.B.'s Morse code wasn't obsolete, but it was then renamed to be the American Morse code system. And so very similar to like sign language, you have sign language for different countries or for different languages. There's American sign language and then other types of sign languages. Same thing with the Morse code. What was the first thing that was ever transmitted using Morse code? It was a very exciting day, actually. The first... Morse code ever transmitted across the country was on May 24th in 1844 by Samuel F.B. Morse himself. And the first message was, what hath God wrought? That sounds like a very, very intense message to send. It is a very intense message, (laughs) but also you have to think about at the time, USA was still split between the North and the South. Oh, yeah. Um, They weren't quite going through civil war yet, but definitely... um, A time of turmoil. Just instability as the states were still growing and developing and really trying to find their place um, in the country. Okay, so that's the 1800s. Let's fast forward a couple of decades and go into the 1900s and... Talk about how Morse code became more of a two-way communication, because up until this point, it was very one-way, right? That's correct. So when the telegraph was originally invented, you could only send electrical pulses one way. And as the receiver, you literally only received the message, and you were not able to respond back on the same machine. By World War I, the inventors and technology has evolved so that two-way communication was available. And truly this paved the way for modern communication and modern telecommunication and laid the foundation for phones, radios, cell phones, modern text messaging, our messages on Facebook right now. And this the f- podcast. Exactly. <laughs> all right, well, we all know that I like war stories and Morse code is often depicted being used during wartime. So was it used during any of the world wars in the 1900s? So famously, the German forces used Morse code to communicate with each other and everyone had access and could hear 
these messages. The problem wasn't the fact that people could hear these Morse messages. The issue was that all of these messages were encrypted and nobody could really understand them because, you know, what does walking your dog in a nice sunny day have to do with war? Uh, well. Well, and so the Allied forces figured out that these messages were really important, but they couldn't figure out what these messages were. And so um, they actually brought together a bunch of scientists, musicians, and geniuses to form a team to find the solution and to essentially decrypt these messages. There was a man named Alan Turing, and he led the team of geniuses, and eventually they were able to find the algorithm to decrypt the message. And so by being able to decrypt these Morse code messages, essentially shortened the war by several years and led to the Allied forces winning. And to learn more about this, look up The Enigma Machine. Or you can watch The Imitation Game starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Kira Knightley. Yvonne's favorite. Yes. One of her favorites. So that's the wartime application of Morse code. How was it used for news transmission and, you know, some different situations? So similar to times of war, it was important on ships to have a way to communicate to stations on land. And there is a very tragic story of Morse code. When the Titanic sunk, they have records of Morse codes being transmitted to um, the states. All these stations picked up essentially the dying and final words off the Titanic. And it was very tragic. And for its 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, a audio artist, Suzanne Weber, along with the Discovery Program from BBC World Service, used a voice simulation software to play out the final moments of the Titanic and to really give a depiction of what it was like um, before the Titanic sunk. Essentially, these messages were the black box of the Titanic, and we could catch the final moments, and it is quite tragic, but some of the lines go as such. So right before the Titanic hit. To Miss Dorothy Gibson, we will do anything to make you happy. Matt Lee. To Jules, New York City, we are happy to get back. Cable made me awfully happy today. This is California. Ice warning, 4, 2.3 north, 4.9 point west, 3, Largeburg, 5 mile to southward of us. CDQ, CDQ, come at once, have struck a berg. CDQ, CDQ, sinking fast, come to our assistance. SOS from Titanic, want immediate assistance. Baltic to Coronia. We are heading to Titanic, but cannot agree the signals. To Cape Rest, have called Titanic, but cannot hear me. Carpathia, we saw ice 25 miles long, solid, boats full of life. Titanic has sunk, she went down in two hours. Captain, chief, and all engineer are gone. And so, 
this is the only real-time recording of the Titanic. So without these recordings, as tragic as they were, we would have never been able to really understand or know what happened on the Titanic's in those last final moments. As you could see, the Morse code and the technology around telegraphs really helped us figure out what was happening in a lot of major events in our history. And we often associate Morse code to a more antiquated way of communication, I believe. Uh, so like, you know, older world wars or into 1800s. But Morse code more recently was used in a way that actually saved a lot of people. And this was as recently as 2010. I actually came across a very fun story about the FARC and the Colombian army and how they use Morse code to save a bunch of hostages using uh, through a pop song. That actually sounds quite ingenious. What was the story behind this? In South America, there's a lot of turmoil. I, I think that's something that all of, all of us are aware of in one way or another. And in Colombia, there was this force uh, called the FARC. And since the 1960s, they've been capturing people. Essentially, they were causing a lot of trouble in Colombia, to say the least. But around 2010, the Colombian army and the military had a problem. They had to save the hostages that have been taken for over 10 years. But they also had to send them a message to basically give them hope, to reassure them that they are still being remembered and that they're not being abandoned by their government. However, communication is very, very hard because not only was it difficult to do so in more rural areas, the FARC were able to intercept all the messages. Um, There was really no direct form of communication between the hostages and the government, and they had to get really creative. With this particular story, they took advantage of a few common facts. The first fact is that radio was everywhere in Colombia. And they used radio often to share messages um, from families to others uh, in hopes that, you know, people will hear them. Um, The other fact is that the government controlled all the radio stations in the whole country, which meant that even the rebel insurgents, the FARC, had to listen to government radio stations if they turned on the radio. And the third fact they took advantage of was the fact that they knew a very, very creative marketing and uh, I believe he's a marketing professional who had a childhood dream of wanting to become a pop star and they took advantage of that. What they ended up doing was flying this marketing executive into Colombia and inserting Morse code into an original pop song, a Latin pop song that is designed to be broadcasted across the whole nation so that these hostages could hear the message. And the message was 19 hostages saved, you are next, don't lose hope. For some time in the 2010s, this, this song became very, very popular, especially in the rural areas, because it was one about hope, it was one about rebellion, it was a, one about revolution and staying with your comrades. And it actually worked. The hostages who were all 
generally communications professionals in the military completely understood. They heard the song repeatedly, and it was a hit. Everyone was listening to it. They never lost hope, and that was really important for the government to convey. Were they saved? Yes. The hostages were saved, and in fact, a former hostage was able to confirm that this song was actually very effective in helping them maintain hope and, you know, still believe that their government is going to come save them. That's amazing. So in 2011, so one year after this operation, the Colombian government actually declassified this operation, and this song was entered into, I believe it's pronounced the Cannes Lions. Cannes Lions? Basically, a uh, Cannes Lions, yes. The Cannes Lions, there you go. And the song called Better Days earned the marketing executive um, a second gold lion. Amazing. Yeah. So beyond military use, how is Morse code still relevant to us today? And like, do people even actually use them? Yes. And typically the people who still use them are ham radio enthusiasts. So ham radio is shortwave radio. And up until recently, it was actually mandatory for amateur radio enthusiasts and license holders to learn Morse code. Morse code is still important today because it's still one of the more reliable ways we could communicate with each other in times of disaster or in areas with very, very little telecommunications, essentially. And so for the unfortunate tragedies of the hurricanes and storms in the Caribbeans, having this knowledge and being able to transmit and talk over radio is actually really useful and can be life-saving when there is no power or no way of telecommunications because ham radios just run off a battery. Yeah, and the reason why it works is because the frequency that the Morse code can run off of, it's a different band than what we usually think of with radio. Yeah, so so it's it's not FM, AM, Siri. Yeah, it's not. XM. Definitely not Siri or (laughs) XFM. And because of that, it's continuous, it is ever always there, and it's just always easy to get to. So if you ever tune into that particular frequency, you might end up hearing some Morse code. And there is like these cult of people who just find each other on these different different frequencies and just, you know, chat with each other and build relationships that way. And ham radio itself is a very interesting topic. And Josh and Chuck from Stuff You Should Know actually covered it in one of their episodes. And it's a fairly good episode. Um, we... Also kind of long, I remember. Yeah. And it's it's very intricate. It's a very different type of culture. And so um, to learn more about ham radio, you can uh, go check, check them out. out. I suggest that you listen to it while you're doing the laundry or vacuuming. Or cleaning. Or, or cleaning, which is what I usually do. <laughs> Um, So I think that about covers it. Yeah, that wraps it up for this week's episode of... 